Welcome to Authentic Living with Roxanne, a place where we have conscious conversations about things that really matter in our lives. And now, here's your host, Roxanne Derhage. It's uh, Roxanne Durhage of Authentic Living with Roxanne. Thanks for tuning in again uh, this week. This week, I have a colleague, Lisa Schmidt, that's with me. Today, we've been together earlier this morning. We spend, um, or have been spending, I would say, the last minimally two months together for an hour every morning through this, uh, yes. this different time. So Lisa and I are presently involved in a writing group, which has been fantastic. We were just talking about the benefits that we've gained. And it's not just been a writing group, but it's really been a space where uh, we get to share some phenomenal things with our great minds. So Lisa brings a wealth of wisdom with her. And uh, today we're going to just talk a lot about leadership, but I'm going to tell you a little bit about her background um, so that we could just dive right into it because I can't wait to get into it. Uh, she's a, a seasoned coach, speaker, and leadership expert. She helps executives and organizations gain clarity um, and act with courage in crafting their powerful strategies along with uh, necessary culture that allows people to make meaningful and powerful contributions throughout their work. So Lisa, tell me, well, like, first of all, like, I know a lot about you, but obviously the listeners aren't going to know a lot about you. What, what got you wanting to work with leadership? Yes. Well, you know, it wasn't one of those things where, you know, you're in high school and people say, what do you want to do when you grow up? And I would answer, well, I want to work with leaders. Um, <laughs> that was not my epiphany at the age of 16 or 17. In fact, it wasn't my epiphany until my late 40s when I had enough experience in the workplace. Uh, and I work in organizational development. So I've worked in leadership development and in coaching uh, but it wasn't until I had enough experience in the workplace to see the impact over time of the difference between what good leaders, and I, you know, I'll put good in, in, in some, mm -hmm. some light quotes, versus less effective leaders, the impact on people around them, not just on the team's productivity or ability to create results, but on how people had a lived experience of the workplace. And I, I've, I've always had this interesting um, question, I've had a question that's been interesting to me about this idea that professionalism is this sort of container in which when you go to work, it's kind of a muffling of who you are. There's this idea of mm. acting professional. And I've been very resistant to it which I think has um, resulted in the fact that I now work for myself because I find it very <laughs> difficult to work in organizations when I can't bring my intuitiveness and my sometimes interrupting behavior because I have a great idea and I don't want to lose it. And also I'm in my 50s, so if I don't say it now, it's gone forever. <laughs> but these workplaces where we're not incur, like we're told bring your full self, bring your best self, but there's so many leaders who don't actually don't have the capability to create an environment and accept that that's when you invite that in, there's a whole big personality that comes with that. And um, so my interest in working with leaders is to really help them understand 
that they are not there to command or control, uh, but they're really there to develop people and to create environments and to catalyze, uh, I think, the best that people can bring to their, to their jobs and to their roles. And I think, uh, you know, myself as a young executive in the culture that, you know, I was thinking into my mid-20s, late-20s, the exposure that I had as a young executive is it was definitely very autocratic and, um, you know, and coming in, you're like, okay, well, what are the expectations of me um, in this new leadership role? But there was a part of me and truly, you know, I can think of myself and I'm thinking, you know, I'm the type that I'm, you know, I'm intuitive and connected and, and like to be collaborative. And I remember in, in you know, many of uh, different situations where I was told you need to be more autocratic. You, mean, you need to be more dictatorial in your role because people aren't going to take you seriously. And I would be like, well, but I don't think I'm getting the most out of people when I do that. But back then, it's almost like I had to stifle that in, in the different uh, companies that I went into in order to be taken seriously, obviously as a younger female at that time, but also in a senior role. And I remember struggling with it, but I kind of pushed it as much as I can so I could kind of fit. So is that kind of what you're, you're talking about, you know, like leaving, the, and I, th I think the authenticity of yourself, kind of like, you know, oh, I'm Roxanne uh, Durhaj, and then I enter the corporate environment and I'm this morphed iteration of something that people think they need to see me act as. Exactly. And one of the things that I've noticed over the course of my professional life is this, there's a theatricality to the workplace. Mm -hmm. And so just briefly, right, um, we wear business clothes or business casual, right? We put on our costumes and we use language in the workplace that we don't use in any other part of it. Like who goes around in their personal life talking about low hanging fruit or, you know, <laughs> harmonizing the synergies or um, I, I can't even think of them all right now, but I've just heard them my whole life. And it's like a, it, there's a script, there's a language, there's a costume. And then there's, you know, the act, like, you know, the, the act of change management, right? So we bring in a particular cast of people and regardless of whether they have the skills to enact change, we need to be representative of different parts of the organization. So we, we, like we do these things that are highly performative that I think get in the way of actually going, who loves to do this kind of work? Who's got some skill set? How can we make this work for people? What's the impact we want to have? But no, it's all like, you know, we enact planning, right? Because planning is part of, so mm -hmm. there's this part of, and what you described, Roxanne, is, you know, this, and I, I think what it refers to, because, you know, I've been in the workforce, I'm in my 50s, I've been in the workforce for quite some time, that there was this idea that was inherited from the military or from, you know, very patriarchal structures about what leadership meant, right? It was the, you know, the almost I'm thinking like the man on the hill or right this idea <laughs> that there was this sort of you don't share what you feel, you know, you're commanding and controlling as, as you just described. And, you know, when you look at, you know, the comparing coercion to getting people to do things versus an internal commitment to have an impact, it's the latter that gets really good work done. And, you know, you and I probably were, had role models who were telling us, ignore your instincts on working mm -hmm. with teams, do it this way. And so you're right, you know, we steal ourselves to go into the workplace and perform a role that doesn't align with our values. But of course, we want to, you know, 
earn a salary. So, you know, we, we agree to this exchange and then we realize over time that doing these things that are inauthentic uh, actually erode part of who we are and they exhaust us. You know, I, I got to tell you this story. So I um, went virtual back in 2003. So at that point, I'd had, you know, it was four, sorry, three or four. I'd had my son and I was commuting a lot. I lived here in Niagara. I worked in Toronto. It was, it was you know, now I think it, I thought, where was my brain at that point? But anyway, if there were younger version of myself. <laughs> and then I, you know, had this young child and, and I was like, whoa, there's no way I can keep this up. So I, you know, I, I kind of was quite lucky to be able to kind of be the first iteration of being virtual. And at that point, it was like new, right, to the corporate world at that point. And what I had done, and I didn't realize, at least at that time, is I, you know, with everybody around me, so the accounting uh, you know, department and the IT people, I had formed relationships with all of them. Uh, because I would talk to everybody. I would just, you know, I always say this is my, you know, this is my Trinidadian upbringing, you know, growing up in a small little island and, and things like that. So I really made a lot of connections. So in fact, so here where they are, they're setting up the virtual and all of that. But of course, you know, with a, you know, a new system, everything went wrong. So I would call, you know, I'd call up to Toronto and I would talk to the IT guys and I would talk to the accounting people and I'd talk to marketing and I'd get all these things done. And other executives would say to me, how do you get shit done? You're in Niagara Falls. You know, we're in Toronto on Bloor Street, two offices over from the people that we need stuff done for, and we don't get it done. And somehow you were able to, I said, you know, I, at the time I was making these connections, I had no clue that I was going to go virtual. I'd already been in my position for about four or five years. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, it's really, now I realized, I didn't realize what I was, I was just being myself. So I could call up to the IT guy that nobody would talk to because I would always talk to him and say, hey, Jamie, by the way, <laughs> I don't know what the heck's going on here. Can you help me out? So when I would pick up the phone and say, hey, how are you doing? Oh my God, I'm stuck in Niagara Falls and everything's about to fall apart. He would actually get to my item first. And now I realize that that's all it was that because I was taking that extra effort and I, you know, you, you know, I talk a lot about authenticity. I didn't realize that inadvertently because I was connecting and getting to know him, you know, and he was the guy that nobody saw, but was quite, quite instrumental in running a lot of everything related to all the accounts everybody managed. He was very powerful. So I got these things done. So I would share that with my, my team after, and they'd be like, oh yeah, okay, that's just because it's you. It's your way. And I'm but like, it's, no, no, but no. isn't that interesting? It sounds dismissive. Oh, that's just you. As opposed to re- relate, to, you know, wow, what can we learn from relating to somebody with respect and authentically connecting with them? Yeah, and right? I'd talk about nothing, right? I'd be like, what do I know about IT? I didn't know anything about it. I'd be like, yeah. hey, what's, a, what's going on back there? Because, you know, nobody knew where the IT department was until you really, really needed them. So you had got to source it. So I think, you know, that's an interesting thing because in leadership today, we know the power of, you know, servant leadership and shoulder to shoulder and connection. And, you, you know, you said earlier, it's about connecting at such a deep, profound, deep level that performance comes naturally out of all of us. I think of us, you know, you know in our groups in the morning and we all want to perform at, at our capacity, whatever that is. 
but it comes naturally out of us because I think that's just the humanness of all of us. I absolutely, absolutely agree. You know, I've had experiences in which I've coached leaders who had this strong bias to, well, if I'm not telling them what to do and I'm not checking in, how do I know that they're not, you know, doing the things or the ex meeting the expectations? And I said, well, what if you flip the conversation around and say to them, you know, something like, you know, what kind of leader do you need me to be? Mm -hmm. As a, like, just make it about, I don't mean make it about you, like, okay, enough about you. Let's talk about me leader. But what I, you know, what I really tried to help leaders see, what I try to help them see is that, you know, you are an instrument of catalyzing the mm -hmm. ability of other people to be and bring, you know, their, their talents. And when you flip it around and stop, you know, the, the language of, you know, what are you doing? Like, you know, when you have those update meetings with your leader, right? Okay, what's on your list? What's on my list? I never come out of, I've never in my life come out of those meetings feeling that I've been seen, that my work is building towards something. They always felt very mechanical and transactional mm -hmm. versus having a leader saying, listen, you know, what do you need from me to be able to do some really good work on behalf of the organization? Right. Wow. That stops you in your tracks because A, you've got to figure out what it is you want to contribute and B, you have to ask for the thing that's going to make it even easier for you mm -hmm. to do that. And sometimes it's these small things, Roxanne, that leaders are, they're, they're not aware of the power just of their presence and of being able to create the capacity for other people to relate to them human to human and to try, I mean, we are in heart hierarchies, but to try and, you know, find a way to not let the hierarchy determine the relationship between the leader and the employee. So almost like to de-stratify it into a point. Yes, you, you know, you're going to have your, 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 C, your CEO and your C, different levels, but, you know, the, some of the most um, authentic leaders I've met made me forget what position they held in the organization. Yes. That's a brilliant, brilliant way of, of summarizing it. Yeah. Right. And, I, and then I look at them and then I think, you know, I, you know, when I worked um, for Warren Chappelle, for instance, there's an example, yeah. and that was my beginning way back, um, that, you know, those kind of leadership at that time, you know, was very, very, very hierarchical. And there was a, there was an, this was a funny story, but it's a story I got to share. And I remember he was getting on the elevator. So he still was, you know, in the building. And I, you know, I, I happened to be getting off the, on the elevator as well. There was people yeah. jumping off the elevator because they were afraid to be there with him. And I was shocked. And I said, he goes, how are you doing? I said, oh, I'm pretty darn good. How about you? And he goes, <laughs> I said, this elevator got cleared quickly. He started to laugh. And he yeah. goes, what's your name? I said, it's Roxander Hodge. He goes, yeah, I know you. I said, I'm sure you do. And I just chuckled and laughed and said, how are you doing? And he goes, I'm pretty good. Just rode the elevator. But that was an example of, you know, and he, he was a nice enough man. Of course, you know, we didn't see him very often and board ran us, but how people were so fearful um, because he was the owner. It's unfortunate that that's, that's, that was the reality. And I'm talking back, you know, in the, you know, early 2000s kind of thing. And the ones that have been able to get to the point where they can kind of sit and talk with you and have those conversations really creates that, they create that vein that says, hey, we're just people, even though they might be in a, you know, a lot higher of a level than you. So tell me, 
When you work to, with leaders today, and I mean, we have so much we could talk about in where, the state that we're in, in the time with COVID and, um, you know, Black Lives Matter, all those things. What are some of the most pivotal and important things for leaders that are trying to grow right now? What do they need to come in contact with to be able to start the process? Yeah, my first line, it's a great question. My first line is, you know, and I go back to a title of a book I read years ago is what got you here won't get you there. And okay. what I mean by that, and I think this book, it, this might have been a book that I just read the title and I didn't need to read the book. I got everything out of the title. Uh -huh. Similar to the book, Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway. Right, Don't right. need to read the book. Um, <laughs> but I, I, what I would say is where you learn the most in my opinion, and, and this comes from my personal life, my professional life, and in working with leaders, is to kind of go where the pain is. Mm. Now, I'm not talking about, you know, deep psychoanalytic, let's mm. investigate your early life experience. But what I mean by this is if you notice yourself feeling anxious and talking to a particular employee, or if you're if you're feeling a sense of anger at something, like what is it that's happening? Because, you know, very much as you know about authentic leadership is very much self, like it's self-awareness. You can't be real unless you know who you are to be that real person, to be that authentic person. And so what I, I think has been really important is that, you know, for the leaders who are willing to do it is to not jump into solutions mode. Okay, everybody, we're all working remotely. This is how it's going to be. And to actually slow down and go, wow, like I'm feeling just as anxious as everybody else mm -hmm. about is my family going to be sick? Um, are our jobs safe? Like to kind of really go into the feeling and be present with the feeling. Now you decide what you share from there. But right. if you're coming from a bit lower, literally physically in the body than, you know, your prefrontal cortex, it actually enables you to be, I think, a little, a little freer. Uh, to shape things as, as they come up, as opposed to coming in with a big plan. And my personal opinion is three to five year strategic plans. We're not, they're not helping. They're getting in the way. I don't know how many times, and maybe this, your, your listeners have this experience where there's this big plan that unrolls and within six months, something's happened and you have to scrap the plan. So I think with what we're experiencing right now, leaders really grounding themselves in what they're feeling and speaking from that place, as opposed to, I got to control it. I think that that's kind of, I would say one of the first things that I would, uh, that I would work with, uh, work on with a leader. And I think that would be a skill that would be scary for some people because they think if they've never done any kind of awareness um, growth through coaching or anything like that, where they've already sat with, you know, what is it that, this particular personality seems to aggravate me that much. Or, you know, if you've never really done any kind of reflective kind of work, I often say you have to put a gap in between you and the actual behavior and look at it and say, why am I having this huge visceral reaction to this, this team or, or this particular part of the business? Because I'm not aware of what they're triggering within me. And if I'm not aware um, you know, I put meaning to it without um, the ability to say, okay, well, they're triggering that in me. Okay, what is it that I need to kind of do to stay present 
to look at things for what they really are at that time. And that's quite the skill, right? To be able to do that if you've never done any kind of, um, you know, coaching or building or introspection. And I think, you know, oftentimes we think of introspection, we think of that in our personal lives. We don't per se as much think about it in our professional lives. I agree. And again, this idea that who we are at work is going to be this vastly different person than who we are in our personal lives. To me, what, what I find very powerful is when leaders understand that becoming a better leader is exactly the same journey as becoming a better person. To become self-actualized <laughs> is a lifelong journey. And the more you understand, I mean, listen, we're all born with a brain that we didn't pick right? We have instinctive responses, we have emotional responses, we have thought patterns, you know, some of this is just baked into us. Um, but we also have an ability to communicate, to listen, to learn. And so we're able to make choices. And the more we know about who we are, and how we show up and what activates our, you know, whether it's our amygdala, um, you know, I find injustice when I hear something about injustice, I just, you know, I can literally feel my body heat up and I, I'm coming from my emotional brain. Um, but it's then like, learning, it's lighting like, up like a Christmas tree. It's like, it's, totally it's, it's like all the Christmas trees, <laughs> but knowing that my brain, like I have a thinking brain that can then start sorting and choice making. Right. Mm -hmm. So what are the words that are going to come out of my mouth? Am I going to have, you know, um, like a mini tantrum am i going to you know hold myself back and say you know what what works best when i'm activated is to ask questions because i know mm -hmm. if i'm coming strongly and passionately i might actually be silencing people and that's the thing i think that is so important about really good leadership development mm -hmm. is you're not looking at leaders as empty vessels that you fill with skills you know, I, you, you and I can easily teach anyone to have a very good performance conversation. It's mm -hmm. a skill set. Absolutely. Absolutely. The harder thing is if you think that because you're the leader, that you have the final say, mm -hmm. it doesn't matter how much I teach you to have a good conversation, you're still bringing a mindset of power over, right? So the real work of leadership development is to notice the way you show up and as much as possible, see your role as catalyzing what is already good in other people you've already we know you're you you got your chops you got this position you know there's something about leadership that i think is misunderstood that it's not about i'm finally in control and i can make things happen really true leadership is i have no control but i'm going to create a container in which creativity innovation difficult conversations all of that can happen in order to have the impact that our organization is hoping to have in the world. And I mean, well, well said, because, you know, you'd be also in industries, they talk about innovation and creativity. I was actually talking, I had dinner with a, 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 a dear friend of mine and he was a senior executive. He, you know, within three years, you can ab I could absolutely see the change in him as a person. And the environment he left, you know, is all quite notable, you know, in banking. My question to him last night, and I want to share it with you because it's, this is, this yeah, fits her so well. Curious. And, you know, I said to him, do you think authenticity is possible in senior leadership? And he said, Roxanne, I am starting to second guess that that's a possibility because he said, what he sees is that the higher people get, 
particular, let's use banking as an example, um, there are such sometimes unrealistic expectations of growth mm -hmm. that what was happening in his particular environment is that people were dropping like weeds with mental health concerns, massive um, short-term disability claims, and people that are actually having nervous breakdowns at that level with a CEO that was dis so disconnected that could only see the things like the tactical and the growth and those. And, and there was literally, I said, there's people losing limbs around him. I was joking around with my friend and he was not aware. So that's my concern when I hear that we have such opportunity. And my hope is that, that based on what the world has gone through and all the things that we have, uh, you know, had to come to grips with in the last couple of months, that industries like that would start to be aware that if you're not able to hold on to, to your talent in, in this way and you're impacting people's mental health, where, where's creativity and innovation going to go? Great question. And, you know, what, what I, and I hesitate to say the word love, but I will use it. What I love about the moment of time that we're in, uh, so starting with COVID, um, it became pretty clear, for example, that no, your job can't be done from home. Well, yes, it can, because if, when push comes to shove uh, or, you know, virus comes to illness, um, mm -hmm. we, we actually can get a lot of work done. Now, part of that and the people I'm speaking with, they feel that they're working harder than ever. Mm -hmm. Because again, back to this performative nature of work, I always have to be like, of course, I'm not going to be anywhere else. I'm at home. So, you know, I know leaders who are more of the micromanaging type they're scheduling calls first thing in the morning because they want to see their employees are up and at work, which is hard to understand, right? Mm -hmm. Like people have very complex lives that they're managing under very complex situations. But I think there's a doorway and people are now looking into that doorway and going, wow, like, do I want to work for an organization that, you know, has all these beautiful values on the wall, but when it comes down to it, I don't feel trusted. I'm not seeing behaviors of trust. And then when you look at what's happening around, you know, the very important work around racial injustice right now, you know, organizations, many of them, they're putting out statements, you know, we believe in racial equality, we believe in having a diverse and inclusive workforce, and then the workers are coming forward and saying, oh, you're saying that now? Uh, I've seen zero evidence over the time I've worked here. And so right. people, I think, are, are becoming very aware and attuned, and I think consumers and stakeholders that what has often been said is actually not the truth. And I'm, you know, there's always a risk of things sliding back, but I think there's momentum both around, you know, how we treat people with respect in the workplace, but even the broader and more important issue of how we treat people um, is, I, 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 you know, some of my, my friends of color, I'm, I'm white, but my friends of color, my black friends, my indigenous friends say, yeah, it's going to fade back out. Like we hope it'll stick, mm. but we don't know if it will. And I, but I'm hopeful. I think there's many things that are happening right now that we can't go back because people and leaders have been revealed for their biases, for their way of, you know, treating employees, for their way of, of behaving that is not about the human creative spirit, but that's about shutting people down. And I'm a big, big advocate that if you don't like who you're working for, vote with your feet. There are many organizations that are starved for the kind of talent that many of us have and bring and long to give uh, to our organizations. And we don't need to really put up with leaders who are either 
unable to support us or who are, you know, latent racists or bigots. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the time that we're in, it's like, a, it's like a, it's like a exponential effect. We went into COVID and then we had this, you know, Black Lives Matter come all at us. So truly, I believe that leadership, there's going to, there's an elevated expectation now of, you know, all of us that, you know, have done different roles and now that recognize, wow, I, I have the capacity to do this from home. What am, what am I bringing? What, what skills do I have? I think it's, yeah. it's going to, people's confidence in their capacities have increased. So leaders that want to attract and retain this top talent, they're going to have to bring their game. Um, and it's going to have to start with them, truly, because, I you know. I totally agree, Roxanne. Yeah. But that awareness I, piece, I think, um, you know, sometimes, like, I'll have conversations. Like, I, you know, I'm brown for people that are listening or have never seen me. And I've had friends with friends that I love to pieces, Lisa, um, that are white, that they don't realize, you know, they've said to me, I said to someone, ask me what it is to be brown. And someone said, well, I've never thought of you as being brown. I said, but I am brown. And they, we start to, everybody start to giggle, but these are girlfriends I've had for 30 years, right? And I said, ask me what it was like when I moved to the little town that I live like now, in now, 33 years ago. Right. And then my friend said, so well, what was it like? Because nobody had really thought about it. Because I never, it's ne the issue of color has never come up. Um, I said, but I'm also privileged. I grew up in an affluent uh, family, foreign students. You know, I came, went to U of T and kind of, you know what I mean? So there's a certain amount of, I'm going to put um, inoculation with, with the way I entered society. I said, but put me down the street slinging beers, um, you know, in the little tavern and see how that's the, re and then that, that sparked things. People said, well, what do you mean? Would, would I be treated differently? I said, absolutely, I would be. Yeah. So it's, it, and you know, we started, and then people were like, one friend, one friend of mine, she's, she's funny. She's the funny one. She goes, oh, my head hurts. I said, you know what? If your head hurts, we're talking about the right things. Because yeah. we had never talked about it as girlfriends. And, you know, and I think these are the conversations that need to happen in our living rooms, with our friendships, around the campfires when we go up north, all those things, because I think that discomfort will start to make people realize, wow, I should not not talk about it, even though, like you said, we have to go to the deepest pain point yes. in order to create change, right? And my yeah. friends will say, my one, one of the friends, her husband owns a law firm, and she went back to the law firm and she said to her, her uh, husband, we need to ask everybody if we don't know about their reality, but in very subtle ways. Tell me about, you know, you know what it's like for Ramadan. Because I don't know. You know, what, what, what's that like? What do you do? Like, what, how is that time different? All those things. So even though that was uncomfortable conversation, you know, that nobody wanted to have, because we hadn't really thought about it before, truly. We, we joke around, you know, but nothing big. It forced us, you know, to really get real. And I said, and I said to my one friend, I'm so impressed that we could actually sit through this because it shows me that, unfortunately, something that horrific caused us to have these conversations, but we're going to make a difference um, in our little pods here in little, you know, kind of suburbia. And so, you know, to your point, we are in such um, 
we're going to, I mean, this time in history is going to be looked back at um, and can be written on or, or, or ancestors will look at it and say, wow, you know, my great grandma or whatever lived in that time. So I think we have duty to really make a difference with what we can do around us in our little concentric circles. Yes. And just to kind of pull the two together, there are many white leaders who are terrified of stepping into even simple conversations mm -hmm. around mm -hmm. difference. And, you know, just to, to give a little bit of perspective, um, you know, we live in Canada. Our holidays are typically around Christian, right? Easter and yes. Christmas. Um, uh, you know, Thanksgiving being the harvest that goes with the Western calendar. Um, you know, Simcoe Day, there's some white guy, I don't know what he did, but he did something in Ontario. Uh, May Long Weekend, the Queen, right? We don't question that, we, you know, our entire structure and thinking around long weekends is actually deeply embedded in white Western culture. And people of color don't always feel comfortable saying, hey, I'd like to have some time off at Yom Kippur or, you know, at Eid, it's falling on a, you know, week, weekday. Like we, we, like we expect people to ask for these things, but we don't realize the privilege we have. We never have to ask for the time off as, you know, white can I have, Western. yeah, can I have Thanksgiving off or, you know, yeah. labor, you know, labor day, we don't even think about or that. Holy we just, day, right? Or there's, there's yeah, so many, yeah. right? I mean, there's many, many cultures. And, you know, and leaders often just a little thing like that, like just understanding gives them a perspective that, yeah, and the whole, their whole, people's whole lives are affected by little things like this. Mm -hmm. And helping leaders have conversations that are, you know, what people might deem as difficult or uncomfortable often starts with what I said earlier, what am I feeling, mm -hmm. right? So if you're feeling discomfort or fear, that's where you start the conversation. Yeah. You say, I really want to talk about this and learn, but I'm just feeling like my stomach is in knots. I'm afraid of saying the wrong thing. I'm afraid of being called out for behavior. Like that is a doorway into a difficult conversation as opposed to, okay, everybody, we're sending everyone off for diversity and inclusion training or unconscious bias training. I have been in those trainings, Roxanne, many times over my uh, career as a leader, right? A leadership cohort. And I can tell you, I learned some information, but nothing touched my heart. And what I think is happening now is people are having visceral reactions to mm -hmm. what we're witnessing and feeling and people are stepping forward and telling their stories. And that is touching us and touching leaders in a way that we, I think we have a responsibility to create the space for those stories. I, I think it's truly an opening as much as we've, it's been such, you know, um, it's made us rethink so many things in life. We're at an opening to make massive change uh, just in all of our lives, but also in organizations that we'd work with, right? To really, you know, and I even think of myself when I worked in corporate, a lot of my colleagues were, were Jewish and I didn't know anything. I, I didn't ask because I didn't know and I didn't know, you know, what they were doing. Um, so even for me, I think I was remiss in not asking the questions. My bosses were Jewish and I knew they were taking different time off, but I didn't say, so tell me a little bit more right? I don't know much about it. So I think for me, even it shows me that I need to understand when I don't get it, you know, like tell me about your background, whatever that background is, because that really gets me to a level where I understand people even that much more. Because the assumption is you look a certain way, Elisa, or I look a certain way that I somehow know about your background, 
but that says nothing about you you know, unless exactly. I start to have those conversations. So I think the, the, the level of conversation has to be shifted, but it has to be the permission, which unfortunately this diverse, this adverse situation has given us permission, but that's what's going to create systemic change. Exactly. And listen, conversation, like a tough conversation is nothing compared to seeing people in your community, your siblings, your parents, your friends, your children, uh, be victims of police violence, discrimination, not getting promotions, like, you know, me feeling uncomfortable having a conversation really, it, you know, is hardly a drop in the bucket of the way more important, a full bucket of really important things that we need to get to. And, you know, I believe that lead, like if you're going to step into a role as a leader, mm -hmm. lead, don't hide in your office don't you know like th these are these are in, these are in, these are people's lives you know is what i say like this is all we have all each of us have is a life mm -hmm. and leaders i believe have a responsibility to create opportunities in the same way that parents with their children you create opportunities for growth for learning for mm -hmm. emotional expression and i don't i i think you know workplaces the good workplaces with powerful leaders, they're, I've used the word before, catalysts, but stewards. They're there to create an environment in which the human spirit through work contribution can bring something. And you know, a lot of what happens in workplaces, we focus on results, but I think just as important is what we create in terms of relationships and connection. That to me, you know, fine, we put numbers on a spreadsheet. This is how much we sell and this and that. And, um, but, there is something that is absolutely priceless that cannot be replicated on a spreadsheet, which is how people come together to create unbelievably important value just in the connection and the ability to work together, which I, to me is what, why I'm passionate about leadership is that leaders have, again, there, there's such an incredible opportunity to bring what is the best in other people to life. And what a gift to be a good leader is a gift to have Absol a good leader. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And I, I think in my, also my career, I've, I've been privileged to, to work with some phenomenal leaders. And I've also seen leaders that I think, Oh my God, how did I get myself into this one? <laughs> and how do I get out of it? And you, you kind of try your <laughs> exactly. best. Yeah. Right. And then yeah. you, you know, you, you, you do your best that you can to get through it. Now, Lisa, you are, um, you work with culture. So I wanted to really kind of wrap it into culture and, and what kind of things we know leaders have to be aware. They have to have difficult conversations, but in reference to culture and, and let's, let's face it, we'll go back into, you know, phase three and we're going to be opening up and we're going to go back to our lives, you know, in whatever sense of the word, but culture is going to be shifted. So again, if I'm the employee or I'm the leader and I'm going back in, what, what should my expectations be as an employee? And what, what should I kind of be looking for in leadership um, in, this new, in this new stage? I saw some graffiti the other day, which was in quotes, you know, I can't wait to get back to normal. And then below it, somebody had written, um, normal is what got us into this mess. <laughs> and you know, whether it's environmentally in relation to the virus or, you know, to, to think about this in the context of the workplace. Um, 
we have toxic and unhealthy workplaces because that's what we think is normal. And I would hope people who have terrible food allergies go on a nation diet. So you add a little bit of milk or you add right other things into the mix and you figure out what works and what's healthy. And so I would like to think of organizations if they're looking at their culture, it's like, okay, we've pushed everything out into remote working. As we come back, what are the things we're going to test one by one to see if they're part of who we want to be going forward? Mm -hmm. And, you know, basically it's a fancy way of saying a stop, start, continue exercise for those of us who, you know, who do organizational development and facilitation. What are the things that we haven't been doing that we've learned we need to do because mm -hmm. we're all healthier and happier? Maybe we have more remote working options. What are the things that we've done that are really, really well? And let's keep doing those. But what have we learned is just so useless that we're just going to stop. We're not, we're not in the culture going forward. We're not bringing them back. And, you know, just some thoughtful conversations around that, I think would make a huge difference to people. I mean, you know, even just the idea of like most of us sit at computers all day long. The amount of money people spend on clothing for the workplace I'm just as productive in a pair of jeans as I am in, you know, something that fits a little too tightly because, of course, you know, many of us have gained weight over this COVID. Uh, I'm just as productive in yoga pants and maybe even more. You know, can we drop this idea that there's something that's about professional attire if none of us are actually, you know, needing to be those things. Now, I'm not saying, you know, stop brushing your teeth and, you know, there's some certain things that, you know, when the continue list, we want to continue, but what are the things, and maybe the, you know, like that frees up people. Like, let's, let's go to the core of what it means to be human as opposed to these strictures that we call culture. That's one thing. And I'll quickly say something else. And I touched on it earlier. I can't tell you how many organizations I've walked in the door and they've got their values painted on the wall or in a big frame. And, you know, typically they're around excellence, integrity, inclusion, uh, collaboration. And all I need to do is sit in a few meetings to see how true people are to those values. I would like to see organizations look at who they are and did, in fact, they live up to who they said they were, right? And for employees to actually call it out and to say, you know, we've always said that we're quite collaborative, but actually during COVID, um, a bunch of decisions were made and nobody was consulted. Can we actually claim that as one of our values? And that those are, again, those are difficult, courageous conversations to have with leaders um, because you can get named a troublemaker pretty quickly if you question organizational values and behaviors, which is probably another reason why I work for myself because <laughs> I've been someone who's raised those questions. But I think going back to those values and those missions and those visions that people create, I think that's a good space for companies to start to go back to, right? Like I agree. Where are we? Who, who are we? And if we're not who we want to be, how can we slowly, you're not going to change everything tomorrow, but in pivoting back, you know, so what can we take with us? Or what we learned about ourselves individually, collectively, and as an organization? And what has a leader learned? And then what has everybody through the different ranks learned? And if they can get to that point where they, like you're right, have this would be very strategic but it will also be courageous because people are going to hear things that they're not going to want to hear that are yeah. real. That probably has lived uh, and been breathing in that organization for very long. But if they can get to that point and make some of those uh, huge changes, you know, you probably retain 
95% of the people um, that you want to retain and, and lose maybe the 5% that it doesn't fit versus it being the other way. Because we're probably going to see a lot of shifting with a lot of talent as we go, I would think. I don't know if you agree with that or I not. I totally agree. And I think the other thing is now that we know that remote, remote work can be very effective, your talent pool is so much larger now. You don't have to hire people in your geographic region. Like you can right. reach into the, you know, the entire planet uh, and find really talented people to work with. So I think there's, there can be a real advantage to organizations. Um, and the other thing is, is, you know, if leaders have been less than authentic and less than transformational, there's a beautiful opportunity again to go back to their teams and their organizations and say, you know, we, for instance, we have this value on the wall of inclusion. And because of what's happened in the world, I've come to terms with the fact that I haven't lived that value as fully as I could. So again, to reveal with some courage, a bit of vulnerability, it is immensely trust building to be able to show people that you've had a shift in perspective because people are interested in the real leader. They're not interested in the person who is um, saying one thing and behaving in another way. I mean, and ultimately that's your power as a leader. The more you can align what you say and how you behave and your deep belief system with the way you show up in the workplace in the way you would show up with your community or for your family, that is what engages people, right? I mean, we've heard the line people, you know, are hired into organizations, but they leave because of bad bosses. And you can, you can go from being a bad boss to a good boss by showing a bit of vulnerability and authenticity. And again, it's a daily practice. Self-actualization is not a pill you swallow or a mountain you sit on for one day. <laughs> it is a day-to-day, -day, who do I want to be? And how do I want to show up? Well, Lisa, you and I could probably go on and on and on because we have such the, the same agree. kind of beliefs around leadership. And uh, thank you so much for your time. Um, is there anything you want to say before I let you go? Um, just, just to you, Roxanne, you know, you have made a decision to be someone, I don't know if you know the term bodhisattva, right? There are people who will delay their entry into enlightenment to help other people get there ahead of them. And I think the work that you do is really, you're creating a pathway for people to enter into states of reflection that are not naturally easy for many people, but the way in which you do it makes it feel possible and a little less scary. Uh, so I just wanna thank you for you know, this conversation, but beyond that, the way that you're devoting your professional life to making some pretty significant change in organizations, so thank you. Thanks you so much for those kind words. So for anyone listening, and especially if you're a leader, you know, you have, such an opportunity, regardless of what your leadership style has been in the past, to create change. So if you're already thinking about it, that's fantastic. But if you're not, start to think about what can I, what changes can I, you, you said stop, continue, start, continue, start and continue yeah. um, in your leadership uh, so to, to create the changes that you need to make. So for everyone listening, um, if you're wanting to know more about authentic leadership, you can reach me at roxannegerhodge.com. And again, Lisa, thanks so much for your time. And we'll talk to you soon. Great. Thank you, Roxanne. Thanks for tuning in to Authentic Living with Roxanne, creating the space for positive, healthy change. Roxanne is a keynote speaker, psychotherapist, and coach. To work with Roxanne, 
visit RoxanneDurhage.com blueprint. We'll see you next time on Authentic Living with Roxanne.